0: Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Bear Beach. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And uh, we're in our series, uh, Milk and Honey. And we're talking about the substance and the sweetness of the story of the Bible. And we're basically looking at the big themes that carry us through the whole entire narrative of Scripture. And uh, we've kind of summarized the story this way. It's creation and commission. We saw that in the garden. God created um, all things and then he commissioned humanity to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the whole earth. But then we saw there was a rebellion that people, uh, God's creation, God's image bearers, rebelled against them. And as a result, there was a fall. There was separation. What God intended to be good and perfect has now been severed. But that didn't stop the plans of God. And now we've entered into God's plan for redemption, which will ultimately lead to new creation and then commission again. And this is the theme, the story of the Bible. And so we're looking at this idea of redemption. And basically from Genesis chapter 3, all the way through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we have the story of redemption. But that story doesn't end there, because as we have a new creation in Christ Jesus, we're then commissioned into the world, and we expect uh, uh, the further and complete redemption of all of God's creation back to himself, and so the story is ongoing. So just a reminder, we've met God, we've met the heavenly creation and characters, and then we've met humanity, and then we've looked at the rebellion, and now we're looking at God's story of redemption. And in a world that is broken and lost, God's plan for redemption begins with an individual. God's plan for redemption. All of humanity is broken. Now, we don't have to go very far to see that humanity is broken. Right? We can even look to our own life. Right, the anxieties we feel, the stresses we feel, the dissatisfaction or the discomfort or whatever it is we're walking through. We don't have to go far to see that humanity's broken. And yet, God's plan for redemption begins with an individual. And this will serve as a theme of the way that God works. This is key. The way God heals the world is by healing individuals. The way that God heals the world is by healing individuals. And this will be the theme, the reoccurring theme of our story from this point on. In the year 2021, Olivia Rodrigo released her hit song called Good For You. Sounds like this. You guys know you know it it was played over 20 million times on YouTube it was streamed over 1 billion times on Spotify and it won the Brit Award for best song along with other nominations but this song had similarities to a song released in 2007 by Paramore called misery business You guys know this one? Hands up if you know this one. Now, not in the lyrics or the music, but in the melody. In fact, the similarities were so uh, uh, close to each other that if you now look at the writers for Olivia Rodrigo's song, Good For You, it now credits Haley Williams of Paramore as one of the writers because of the similarities after a lawsuit. So she had to give credit to Paramore, the song in 2007, because of the similarity of the melody. The melody was the same. This is now what's happening in the story of the Bible. We have different characters, different situations, but the melody will be the same. Over and over again, we see God heals humanity by healing individuals. And we see that first last week with the story of Abraham. Now, before we jump back in, let me catch you us up on the story. Abram was a man living in southern Iraq. He was an idol worshiper with his wife and no kids. They were in their late 70s. God makes himself known to Abram, changes his name, promises that he will be the father of a nation. And after two decades, God gives him a son named Isaac. Now Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, had 12 sons. And after a series of events, Jacob's family ends up in Egypt. Jacob's son Joseph became a, a prominent figure in the nation Of Egypt. In fact, he rose to power to second in command in Egypt. But things change. Joseph dies, there's a new king in Egypt, and it goes from authority in Egypt to oppression and slavery from the Egyptians. And over 400 years have passed from the end of the book of Genesis to the beginning of the book of Exodus. 400 years have passed. And the descendants of Israel go from about 100 living in in power in Egypt to over a million now being uh, oppressed and in slavery by the Egyptians. They're slaves, they're under harsh conditions, they're afflicted, they're mistreated. There's even a sentence to throw every male born into the Nile River as an act of infanticide. So this is, the, this is where the story picks up. This is where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to read quite a bit of uh, verses to you, so bear with me. They'll be on the screen. But it says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the the priest of Midian. Now the story of Exodus begins with Moses. I'm sure all of us are familiar with him. He's born to an Israel. uh, He's born an Israelite. The decree was that all the male-born sons were to be thrown into the Nile, and yet his mom disobeys that command. She builds a little basket for him, sets him off into the Nile River, and then he's saved by, ironically enough, Pharaoh's daughter. And then uh, Pharaoh's daughter says she wants to adopt this kid, she wants to raise him, and so she hires Moses' mom to raise and take care of Moses. But Moses, as an Israelite, is raised in the household of Pharaoh. But after a series of events, him murdering a guy and getting sort of thrown out, he now lives in the wilderness as a shepherd. And it says that he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, and it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what's his name? And what should I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, God's plan to redeem his people is choosing one person and raising him up as deliverer. God hears people suffering and steps in to deliver. Listen to the language that's used to describe what's going on for the people. Some of the words that were, said, that were noted, that there was uh, misery of my people. He heard them crying out. He noticed their suffering, the oppression, slave drivers. This is all intense and hard language to, de- to describe what they're dealing with. And God hears and God acts. But this is important. The way that God acts is by choosing a person who will act on his behalf. The way that God acts is by choosing a person that will act on his behalf. I think for many of us, maybe we're walking through challenging or difficult seasons of life. Maybe life at home isn't going good, or maybe a family member's sick, or maybe a friend's uh, talking bad about us, or maybe there's some situation that's going on in our life, and we just want God to act. We want God to show up. We want God to do something like move a mountain or shake the earth or do something exciting or or, or miraculous. But oftentimes, and this is a huge story, a huge moment, both for the nation of Israel and for our story. And how does God act? Well, he acts by showing himself to one person and he invites him to act on God's behalf. And I just wonder tonight, maybe you're in a situation, you keep waiting for something to happen, but God's actually commissioned you into that situation with the hope of the gospel to be a light in that situation in that season. And so God, he, he hears and God acts, but the way he acts is by choosing a person that will act on his behalf. Again, this is the melody. This is the story over and over again. Abraham, God chooses an individual that's going to act on his behalf, that's going to bring a, a son that will ultimately lead to a nation, that will bless all nations. Here we have a people that are oppressed, that are, that are, that are dying, that are broken, that are, that are, that are uh, suffering, and God chooses a person that he's going to reveal himself to and act on his behalf. But notice, Moses asks two very important questions. This is basically where we're going to camp out tonight. He asks, who am I? And he asks, who are you? So the first thought tonight is, who am I? Moses asks this question not because he doesn't know who he is, but because he knows who he is. Moses isn't a, ha, doesn't have a loss of identity It's not like he doesn't know who he is. He knows himself. He knows where he comes from. And that's the very reason he's asking this question. Moses is a stowaway Israelite raised in Pharaoh's house. He had abandoned his people, but he also didn't fit in the palace, right? He didn't fit with the Israelites because he wasn't a part of the Israelites any longer. But he didn't fit with the the, uh, uh, Pharaoh or the Egyptians in the palace because he's an Israelite. He kind of had no country, He also is a murderer. He's a coward who ran away. And now he's a shepherd on the backside of the wilderness. He's a nobody. At one point, raised in the palace, now abandoned and forgotten. He he is not just in the wilderness. He's in the backside of the wilderness. Forgotten about, just a shepherd. And now he's asking this question, who am I? Why are you choosing me? And he's not asking because he doesn't know, but because he knows his history. He knows where he's messed up. He knows what he's gotten himself into. He knows that he's a nobody. And so he asks that question, who am I? And these are all reasons that he doesn't think he should be used by God. He's living with guilt and shame that would cause him to feel like an undesirable. Who am I? Why would you use me? Guilt is when you've done something wrong. And guilt happens whether you feel it or not. Like, I have never felt guilty for speeding. But I'm guilty for speeding. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I blow past the speed limit sign that says 45 going 57. And I'm like, I'm just kidding. That's an exaggeration. Probably 54, if I'm being honest. Um, 10 over is a little excessive. You know what I'm saying? Um... But uh, I've never blown past that and be like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. But I'm guilty. Guilt, guilt is, it happens whether you feel it or not. Guilt is when you've done something wrong. But listen, shame is when you believe something's wrong with you. Guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is there's something wrong with me. And shame is a storyteller that convinces you that you're something that God's grace could never touch. Shame makes you believe a lie, and that lie is you aren't good enough. That lie is, yes, you have sinned too badly. That, that lie is you are ne- you're not as gifted, you're not as loved, you're not as capable, you're not as experienced as somebody else, and so you should sit on the sidelines and let somebody else step out and do that thing. And shame will cause you to believe something about yourself that even God doesn't say about you. And so Moses, believing a lie, allowing his history and his failures and his past to swell up and to stir up all of these negative feelings inside of him, he asks the question, who am I? What he's really asking is, why me? Of all the people you could choose, of all of the people that, you would, that, that could lead the, the, the people of Egypt out of bondage, why me? And then look what God says as response in verse 12. He doesn't even answer the question. He says this, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you've brought the people out. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Listen, who God is encounters who Moses is, and whenever God shows up, things change. This is the story. Who God is, the very character and heart and person of God, encounters who Moses is. All of his flaws, all of his weakness. In fact, he would go on to say that he couldn't be the person because he has a speech impediment. He's like, I can't talk very good or well. How are we supposed to say that? I can't talk very good. And so as a result of that, he's like, I can't be used. You can't use me. All of these reasons why, but who God is encounters who Moses is. And whenever God shows up, things change. It doesn't matter who Moses is, why? Because God's there. It doesn't matter what he can't do because there's nothing too hard for God. There's no amount of shame or guilt or pain or suffering that's outside of God's control. And so as Moses looks at this obstacle and thinks, I can't do this. And really the answer is you're absolutely right, Moses. You can't do that. Who am I? Well, really you're nobody. You're a shepherd on the backside of the mountain, and and quite frankly, you don't have the giftings. But what does God say? I will be with you. And now it doesn't matter what you can't do. It doesn't matter what you're incapable of. It doesn't matter what your family history says or what your siblings have done or how your parents behave. All of that does not matter anymore because all of a sudden, who he is encounters who God is, and when God shows up, things change. And so God says, it doesn't matter, I will be with you. So then Moses asks a perfect follow-up question. Perfect, right? God says, okay, Moses, I've heard my people's oppression. I heard their suffering. You are going to be the deliverer. And he says, who am I? Don't you know what I've gone through? Don't you know what I've done? You can never use me. And God says, I will be with you. And so Moses asks a second question. He says, well, who are you? Okay, you're going to be with me. Who, who are you? What, makes you? what makes you worth trusting? How, how come I'm going to place my life and my comforts into your hands and follow you out of this, this convenience of being a shepherd back into Egypt where I've been cast out to deliver millions of people out of bondage into a new land? Who are you? Look at it, verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites. All right, let's say I do it. And say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now God in this moment responds by giving Moses his personal name. Remember we talked about that God is a title. The Hebrew word is Elohim. We talked about this a bunch in our earlier messages when we were talking about heavenly creations or heavenly creatures. Elohim, and, and Elohim's a title. It's like Mr. or Sir. But then here, we're introduced to the personal name of God. It, it would be like David or Charles, right? It's a personal name. It's a specific name. And the name God introduces is the word in Hebrew, H-A-Y-A. H-A-Y-A. That's the word he uses. So he says, who is it that's sending me? And God says, hayah, which I like that. I'm I'm probably not saying it right. It probably sounds more Hebrew. That sounds like karate. Um, Hayah. But what it literally means is, I will be. Or, like it's translated in our Bible, I am who I am. The name reveals something about this God. In other words, God is. (laughs) Okay, who is it that's sending me? And he just says, the the I will be is who sent me, or is sending you. I will be, that's what he says, or I am who I am. In other words, God is. He is the uncreated one, meaning he's not dependent upon anyone else. God is, and he's always been. He's the uncaused cause. He's the creator of all things. He's the source of all life. All things start and end with God. He is the uncaused cause. You know, it's funny when uh, we talk about the, the beginning of life or we think about God. One of the big questions that people ask is like, well, where did God come from? Right? Because that is a logical way of thinking. Like if we go back to the beginning, remember we talked about this in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God was there waiting. He was there in the beginning, before the beginning. So the question is, well, then where did God come from? Well, the answer is God is the cause. He's outside of that. And it's funny, like especially um, evolutionists and things like this really have a hard time with with understanding a God that's outside of time or cause. Other than the fact when we talk about the Big Bang, which was an uncaused cause. (laughs) They're okay with that uncaused cause, an absolute miracle, literally nothing, sparking out of nowhere into something. An uncaused cause. Oh, we're okay with that, but with God being the uncaused cause, we're not okay with. What we're saying is that all things began its motion with God as the initiator. He's the uncaused cause, and he's the unchanging one. Listen to me. Who he is is who he will always be. If God is love, he will always be love. If God is faithful, he will always be faithful. He's also saying that he's like no one else. He has no comparison. He says, I am who I am. Um, People will say to me that I look like Kurt Cobain. That's a common one I get. Um, I also get uh, Prince Charming from Shrek. Yeah, you guys like that one? Prince Charming from Shrek. Um, I'm like my mom in personality. Uh, but I'm like my dad in profession. The reason I'm telling you that is because I have comparisons. I have have similarities to other people or other things that can help paint a picture for who I am. God doesn't have any comparisons. The only comparison to God is himself. He doesn't say, I am like this or "I, I am like that. God says, I am who I am. God equals God. And I think we should remember, even Satan is no equal to God, right? The, God, Satan is not like the equal but opposite to God. It's not like yin and yang. God is God. He's the creator of all things. And Satan is one of his creations <laughs> that, that rebelled against him. There's no equal. There's no comparison, right? It, it, it's like Mighty might's football team going against like the Miami Dolphins, it's like this not, there's no comparison. There's no equal. God is God. I am who I am, he says. But then God goes on as he reveals himself to Moses. The first he says that word, H-A-Y-A, but then it says this, God also said to Moses, verse 15, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he has sent me to you. Now, this word Lord um, in our Bibles usually is capitalized L-O-R-D. Now, there's two forms of, wor- of Lord that you'll find in your Bibles. There's one that's L-O-R-D, all caps. And then there's also L-O-R-D that's uh, capital L, lowercase O-R-D. And the English translators of the Bible did this on purpose because what they're doing is they're making a distinction. It's kind of a long, complicated Hebrew history class that we're not going to get into. But the word Lord, L-O-R-D, comes from the Hebrew word Yahweh, uh, Y-H-W-H, or Y-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh. And this is the same idea as before. But instead of saying, I will be, or I am who I am, this is like saying he will be. Okay, so, when, so basically what God's doing, he's help, helping Moses out. He says, okay, who is it that sent me? And God says, I am who I am. But it'd be kind of weird for Moses to go into Egypt and say, I am who I am. Right? You're like, wait, who are we talking about? Moses, you are who you are? So God says, okay, tell him Yahweh sent you. He will be, or he is who he is. And what we see here is God's personal name, no longer a title, but God's personal name revealed to humanity, Yahweh. And this is who Moses will go in and say, sent him. And in this story, in the name of God, and in his plan, we get more insight into who he is. A couple of things, we're almost done. The first we hear in this story is that he is holy. Holy. Who is this Yahweh character? What is he like? Well, he's holy. Notice the very first moment as Moses approaches this burning bush that's not being consumed, that's staying on fire. He walks close and God speaks to him. He says, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. In other words, God's separate. He's other. He's not like anything or anyone else you've experienced. And as we approach the presence of God, he's saying, I am not like anything else. I am holy and there needs to be a reverence and a respect and understanding that God is separate. He's other. He's not like everything else. But then the second thing we see here is that he hears the cries of his people. Just because he, he is holy doesn't make him distant. This is the beautiful thing about God. Just because he's holy, just because he's separate, just because he's other, just because he's like nothing or no one else doesn't make him a distant God. He's not disconnected or disinterested. God's not up in heaven as this holy other separate God that couldn't care less about your life or your struggles. That's not God. God cares so much so that this verse literally tells us that the sufferings of his people have cried out. It makes an audible sound to God, the sufferings of people. And so he leans in, he moves, and he acts. Then also he... Not only does he hear the cry of his people, we're also told in the story that he raises up a deliverer. He has a plan to bring people to himself out of bondage and into a land flowing with milk and honey. And in this land flowing with milk and honey, this promises that he's going to bring them to a place of satisfaction, a place of sweetness, and a place of life. Uh, one person said that it's a land flowing with milk and honey because it's things that can sustain life without death. That God's bringing them into a place of life. And this is who he is. And this is how he will always be. But here's the amazing thing about this story. Is this is our redemption as well. Moses is what we would call a Christ type. Or in other words, a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. We're not going to be introduced to Jesus for thousands of years. Not our timeline, but their timeline. We'll get there in a few weeks. But uh, for thousands of years, we won't be introduced to Christ. But here, in the book of Exodus, we have a messianic type, a Christ type, a Savior type. God sees, just like he sees their their struggle, God sees our struggle. And our struggles with sin, or with identity, or with difficulty, or anxiety, or oppression, or, or, or feeling left out or forgotten. God sees our struggle, and he raises up a deliverer the perfect and final deliverer for all mankind, and he brings us into a place of freedom and life. This is the invitation for all of us, that regardless of what we're walking through, the pain or the difficulty or the struggles that we've experienced, God invites us into a place of freedom and of life. But listen, we've got to ask the same question as Moses. Who am I and who are you? and will you allow the i am to encounter and transform your life cuz for many of us we could walk into a moment, walk into a setting and be near the things of god or, or maybe we're like we're like Moses doing our business and there's something that's drawing us in or something that's designed to draw us in maybe it's an invitation, maybe it's a situation right sometimes our our struggles and our frustrations and our pains are kind of like that burning bush in our life to cause us to go, wait a second, this, this doesn't add up. Like maybe, that, maybe the reason that thing or that relationship or getting accepted into that school or, or, or whatever it is, maybe the reason that didn't satisfy your life is because it's not supposed to satisfy your life. Maybe it's supposed to be something that's going to cause you to go, that's not right. And just like Moses, as he saw the burning bush and he's doing his thing, following his sheep, and then he goes, that's not right. And that thing drew him in to encounter God for, in a personal and real way. And maybe there's something in your life that's causing you to go, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't make sense. I thought it was going to make me happy. I thought it was going to be the answer, and it hasn't. Maybe that very thing is what God is using to draw you into himself so you can encounter the I am in a real way. And when we, can, when we encounter God and we ask those questions, who am I, and we realize that it doesn't matter what we've done or where we've been or the struggles we've walked through, when who we are meets who God is, things change. Our life can be transformed from the inside out. And then we get to participate in what God's doing. And we realize who our God is. He's, not, he's the opposite of the picture that's being painted in Egypt of oppression and slavery and suffering and things like that. God is a good God who leads us out of that into life.